Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are a feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Uh, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on stolen Ghana land and we'd like to uh, pay our respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Today we are talking about a musical that is very close to my heart, uh, being Spring Awakening. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus more on the musical than the play that it is based on. And joining us today is a wonderful, wonderful guest uh, in Mitchell Smith, one of my favourite people in the whole world. He's very dear to both of our hearts. We've known him a long time and we we both performed with him in in one manner or another. Uh, If you've seen musical theatre in Adelaide in the last probably five to seven years, you would have seen Mitch Mm. in something. He's been in everything. You may have seen him in Violet. You may have seen him in Edges. If you were one of the four people who came to Edges, you would have seen Mitch perform in that. Is that Edges um, directed by the Ellis Dolan? Yes, I did go to NIDA. (laughs) Oh, shut up. (laughs) Uh, And you may have seen him in Thoroughly Modern Millie playing Mm -hmm. Jimmy. Uh, But since moving to Melbourne, moving to Frankston, Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, he's also been very involved in the music theatre scene on the Mornington Peninsula as well. He's played Marius in Les Mis. He's played Sky in Mamma Mia. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful person and wonderful performer, and we love him dearly. And the reason he's joining us today is because both he and our very own Mim performed in the Hills Musical Company's production of Spring Awakening mm. as Melchior and Wendla Vendla. The pronunciation is out in our interview, so, <laughs> so be prepared for both. So a couple of things that we just wanted to make clear before we get into our chat with Mitch is the fact that there is an episode-wide trigger warning attached to this episode. Um, there are a lot of things to look out for. We talk about um, we talk about rape, we talk about sexual abuse, uh, we talk about suicide. Dubious so, consent. Dubious consent, absolutely. So um, because those themes are so prevalent in this show, it was kind of hard to give very specific trigger warnings to talk about each of them um, the way that we normally would. We can't really pocket them because mm-hmm. they're kind of present throughout. So um, if those issues are things that are going to be uh, triggering to you, um, we'd recommend listener discretion. Yes, um, and and also because of the nature of this show, uh, we decided that uh, we would be censoring differently to how we normally do. Yeah, um, so you might still hear some F-bombs, whereas yeah. you normally wouldn't. <laughs> um, but again, it's the nature of the show. Uh, we, we felt that it would do a disservice to the, the show to not kind of talk about it openly and... Mm. and and also, yeah. there's that Tony's performance where the original cast did it, and they did. <laughs> example of me not censoring myself. They did the song "Totally Fucked," 
and they all covered their mouths to <laughs> not say fuck. And it was like the whole purpose of the show is kind of rising up against a really highly censored conservative society so why are you playing into that it seemed really hypocritical so i guess we didn't want to do that yeah so uh so let's cross over to us and the wonderful mitchell smith uh, to talk about spring awakening welcome to the podcast mitchell smith mitchell hi thanks so much for having me guys it's great to thanks, be here i'm very thanks well. so much for coming on mitchy i from from the get-go um full disclosure you are one of my favorite people in the world um, I love you very That's dearly. Lovely. What? <laughs> one of my favourite people. Oh, and it is very sad that the hard border and your stage four lockdown restrictions currently divide us. Um, but we are yes. very, very happy to be talking to you over Zoom today, and to be dissecting yeah. one of our like. I'm speaking on your behalf here, but one of our mutual favorite <laughs> musicals, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I reckon that's, that's pretty true. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch, do you want to tell us a bit, what's your relationship with Spring Awakening? So I reckon I first started listening to Spring Awakening sometime in my early high school years. So that would have been like, you know, around 14, 15. Real teen I angst remember... peak. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, I, remember walking to school, I remember walking to school and having it on my um, iPod Touch. And I was listening to the songs and being like, yeah, but I didn't, don't think I understood what the plot was and what was actually going on. I just felt, you know, like, ah, oh, like, not that I was ever an XD person, but it was just like, <laughs> you know, it's a vibe. Yeah. And then in 2017, you and I, Millicent, had the opportunity to do the show, we which did. was amazing. Working opposite each other. I remember at the time of auditions, you were in France. I, I was. Think. Yes. France. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And we were just like, so we're doing this, yeah? And you're like, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. And yeah. we manifested it and it happened. We did. So... At one point, I think the production team like messaged you being like, hi, Miss, just checking how tall you are. And you messaged me being like, how tall are you? Because I need to say that I'm taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I am for the record. Which you are, but... like slightly. Just had to make sure. <laughs> slightly. Which, because like that doesn't happen often. So we, I, I just need to confirm that. But um, yeah, and look, our devious plans worked. We did. And then we did it and it was still, yeah, one of my most treasured theatrical experiences for yeah. a lot of reasons. Yeah. But it has a very near and dear place in my heart. 100%. And, um, and from, from my perspective, I saw that show and you were both brilliant and the show was really wonderful. Uh-huh. And I had, a, I had a really wonderful Thanks, time seeing that show. Thanks. It was an awesome show. And like getting to play across one of my best friends in the world in our, like two of our mutual dream roles, I think was pretty fantastic. Mm. So I don't think we actually said this, but Mitch played Melchior and I played... Yes. Wendler, Wendler, mm-hmm. depending how true you want to be to the, the German pronunciation. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I was just gonna say, are we gonna get in trouble if we don't say the V? I'll do it. Yeah, the, I'll um, do it. <laughs> the German purists are gonna be on our back. <laughs> they, they're coming. Look, I, I hear you're big in Germany, so they, they're, really, they're really coming after you. They love us across there in Europe. Uh. <laughs> so this show is heavy. Uh, Mm, There are so many themes to dive into that have very much a feminist slant and have uh, very much a um, social justice through line 
um, across the board. We're definitely going to talk about sexual assault and about dubious consent, mm-hmm. um, sexual education. Oh, there's there's a lot to <laughs> there's a lot to dive into. It's a heavy show. So I guess for me, I think the biggest feminist relevant theme that comes out of this show is the idea of the importance of sexual education and how if you don't give children the opportunity to understand um, or learn about um, their bodies and sexual needs and desires, then that that can have very, very drastic, problematic consequences. I think that's my biggest takeaway from the show thematically. So uh, when you guys were doing the show, how did you go about exploring those themes and those issues of sexual education? Well, I remember one of the first rehearsals we had was basically like Sex Ed 101, which you would think that in, what, 2017, we wouldn't need that as like, you know, teenagers and young adults with the internet and kind of with that knowledge. But then I think what Hayley, the director, was really keen on was making sure we're all on the same page Mm. in terms of all the stuff. So that was was a good worksheet, which I remember, which you and I completed together, Mim, and I was... And I, I think we smashed it because we did smash it. That was good. Yeah. But then, like, just talking about, we did. Obviously, I mean, what, what can I say? Stuff. But <laughs> all, no, all just, over our anatomy. And then just make sure that we're all kind of understanding the same things in, around like healthy relationships and consent and that kind of stuff, and how it plays into the themes of the show as well. So that because I feel it's hard to, I like, from an acting perspective, to actually understand and kind of you know go through that emotion and stuff if you're not working with the same sort of set of based like ground knowledge I guess yeah so no I think that that was a really good way to kind of talk about it. and like it was always there was always a good like understanding that yes this is some heavy topics that might have some personal significance for some people in the cast as well 100%. so being very kind of um like sensitive to that and you know you can leave you can like step out if you ever need to or kind of chat to anyone and I don't think there was any kind of like prejudice about that in the cast yeah. either, mm. to kind of just be like yeah we're all we're all this together I guess yeah, definitely. There was a real sense of um, making a very like safe um, mm. working environment for everyone in the cast um, around the very like heavy issues, and um, also like from a mental health perspective. There's some um, mm. like there is suicide in this show. Um, yeah, it was like Haley especially was very. Um, very proactive about making it like a really safe environment for us, which was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. There was also in our version of it, um, I think we're going to talk about the show more generally, but like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably what the people want. They don't, they don't really need a play by play. But specific to the talking point, um, uh, there was this like montage that happened before the show started that was a series of um, clips from like abstinence only sexual education. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like the only way that you can not get sexually transmitted disease, the only way you can ensure that you won't get pregnant is if you abstain from sex altogether. It was, it was pretty intense. It was like lots of clips in that kind of ilk. Um, and also, yeah. like, lots of recent... I remember in... Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, I remember in my in my first year of uni, I wrote an essay that was, like, meant to do, like, an essay on a health topic or something, and I decided to look 
at like um, the relationship between like sex education programs and what they're teaching and then like rates of like STIs and things like that. Mm. And yeah, there is like that kind of inverse relationship that you would probably is logical to expect, which is like the less sex, the less sex education, the higher rates of like unwanted teen pregnancies and like um, sexually transmitted diseases and things that yeah. are around, which is fair enough. Cause I mean, and it's the same thing with the show when it's set eighteen ninety something, and like mm-hmm. if you know, as young people, we have the you know ability to d- have the consequences of like you know sexual activity and things like that. But if you don't have the actual knowledge, then mm. you're not like informed going in. But you still like have the risks, but you don't have the knowledge that can help can help you avoid that. So I think that's a very kind of it's a dangerous combination, as we do see. Yeah. Throughout mm-hmm. the plot. Yeah, hundred percent. So if anyone listening is not familiar with this show, essentially the opening scene is um, this character, Wendler, Vendler. Good one. I'm going to have to decide at one point what I call her. Um, <laughs> you have to make a choice. <laughs> who is kind of like exploring her body and lamenting the fact that she doesn't really understand how it works. And then her mother comes in with the news that her sister has just had another baby and she's an aunt again. And um, she says to her mother, like, isn't it kind of time that I know how this happens? Cause I don't quite get it. And her mother like avoids it at all costs. Like it's actually a, like a funny scene. <laughs> um, it's funny. Yeah. But basically she's avoiding having this conversation and she's like, Oh yes, the stork arrives uh they completely completely bypasses having this difficult conversation and then um she has no understanding of how her body works going forward so then when she does have sex and doesn't understand what it is which is a whole other kettle of fish around consent and all that jazz um and falls pregnant and her mother's like oh how could you do this to me she's like i don't i genuinely don't understand how this happens and then she yeah. has a failed abortion and dies so yeah. it's like woo the takeaway <laughs> from spring awakening is don't have sex you will get pregnant and die pregnant and die yeah. yeah but it's like don't have sex without like if you had the requisite information that would have allowed you to understand what was happening uh, and to appreciate the significance of these actions uh, then mm. this wouldn't have happened. There's also the idea yeah. that uh, one of the students, uh, Melchior, does kind of know a bit more than all the other students. And so at multiple points in the show, mm. they go to him to get this kind of like secondhand information about what's going on with themselves, where when they have access to all these teachers and parents and adults who are refusing to teach them what it actually is. So they're kind of like working on this misinformation garnered by other students, which only leads to more issues down the line. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting with like Mercury's knowledge and all that, because obviously a lot of it is, get, I think, gotten from like either like medical books or like things that are very more of a clinical, very like anatomical perspective. But then there is also the kind of emotional interpretation and interpolation of that information that he he does himself through like you hear in like the touch me sequence a lot about like him imagining what I feel like pleasure feels like for a woman and I how which I would doubt would be in the books that he's reading from the library I don't think that's going to be in there so Mm -hmm. that's a lot of kind of interpretation there and I think that's really interesting to kind of be able to yeah 
he's obviously on a, like thinking a bit more about the kind of the yeah interpolating that information to an actual emotionally human response rather than just you know this is what genitalia is and like this goes in here and this does this and you know like yeah mm. yeah from a like a, scope. from a strictly clinical perspective yeah, yeah. exactly 100 percent um and i guess to some degree there is also that um <laughs> venla is obviously the very um end of the spectrum example of the extremes of what can drastically happen if mm. you aren't informed about your anatomy and um sex drive and everything um but then there is also this other just side of it where the boys who are experiencing sexual desires and like experimenting with masturbation and whatnot and don't understand what is happening that builds up into this like crazy amount of angst and frustration and not being able to appreciate that is also just frustrating for Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason, you know, Moritz fails school is because he's up all night thinking about, you know, all these weird dreams that he's having basically. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then he fails school and then uh, his father is really angry and then he kills himself. Uh, So that's what happens if you don't get a sexual education. I'm really clutching at straws here <laughs> to make that connection. But <laughs> what Spring Awakening does well is it kind of shows these like real extreme examples, but also shows all the steps as to how each character got to where they ended up. And even though they are extreme consequences of those actions, it all makes sense in the in the narrative and is therefore I think a good educational tool in saying it's the it's the parable of here is the bad thing that can happen if this if you don't do this thing uh so teach your kids about sex in a healthy mature way 100% (laughs) yeah so I think that kind of leads into the I mean the sex scene that is in this show um being Mm. close of act one I guess we should specify that we're kind of strictly talking about the musical today there are a lot of parallels with the play the um that frank i want to say vidikind had i go with my german pronunciation (laughs) maybe sketchy german speakers hit me up um (laughs) lena if you're listening help me out um (laughs) but um yeah there are it's quite true to the source material in some regards and it does stray in a few ways. Like the sex scene is one of the ways that it strays because in the play, it's like absolutely a full blown rape. Whereas in the play, in the musical, sorry, it's definitely a lot more dubious. Um, Yeah. Is it it, it though? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, can you consent to something that you don't understand? Absolutely not. Well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, in like, in the health world, we talk a lot about informed consent with like, Mm -hmm, someone mm -hmm. has to know what they're agreeing to before they agree to it. Like, and it's very clear that when has no idea what she's agreeing to, apart from, oh, this kind of feels good. And this is a nice boy who I kind of like, but like, she doesn't know what's going on. So, and it's interesting because like, 
the implication would be that like Melchior does know what's going on. He does know the risks of having sex in pregnancy and how that all happens and therefore is more informed, but is more acting on kind of like, I don't want to say animalistic because that plays into a lot of rape mm. culture tropes I don't like, but like, you know, a bit more not thinking about that at the time. And so, whereas, whereas Wendler has no idea what's going on. So I think yeah. it's hard. Like Murky, yes, but it's also like, if you think hard about it, it's like, oh, yeah. I think it's fairly clean cut. I also think that it's somewhat problematic in the in the writing and the staging of it that that's not really critiqued. Because while hmm. you know, when you do think about it and sit back, you go, okay, this is this is not consensual because she doesn't understand what's happening. But then the remainder of their relationship kind of plays out as like a bit of a love story, and he's still. Um, oh, absolutely. He's, he's still the hero by the end of it like he's mm. not pulled up in the narrative and in the writing for the fact that he had sex with somebody that didn't understand what was going on like I think that that's that's a bit of a blight on this show which otherwise is pretty good on its feminist values that's a that's a talking point that I think it falls short on yeah it is very much like you know, although all of his friends and lover dies, at the end, Melchior is still, like, alive. Like, yeah. he's the one that kind of does actually pay for her, her... I don't... It's not even ignorant. Like, it's not like she doesn't want to learn. It's just, like, no. the lack of knowledge from society and education from where it should be coming from in terms of the family. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think it also stands out because the musical is so good at critiquing so many other things. Like the whole thing is a, is a critical parable of society. And for this very significant moment to kind of go uncommented on, um, and in some ways romanticized, yeah. it re- really stands out and kind of makes you wonder like what the thinking was behind the writing of it and the creation of it. Yeah, I guess there's like a brief critique, I guess, in there's a, there's a scene in the scenes during Whispering when with Merck's parents when he's kind of talk, talking about like, oh, you know, they defiled that young girl, whatever the lines are, I don't know. So there's like a, a mm. bit there, but it's not actually, it doesn't eventuate into anything yeah. apart from kind of, yeah. And also yeah. throughout the show, the adults have always been portrayed as the villains. So if mm. like, even though there is this critique coming from his parents, you're not taking it seriously because you haven't taken anything that any of the adults have said seriously throughout the whole show. Yeah. It's very much played as like, Oh mom, like, like <laughs> parents don't understand. Like, 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 it's, very like, it's a bit like Charlie Brown parents. I feel. As, yeah. You know, They're just trumpets in the background. It's very like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Which is kind of how it's treated, how it's treated throughout the play. So it's like, yeah, like the critique doesn't hold up. It's mm-hmm. not coming from a, like a respected source to the actual characters who it's trying to critique. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Like if he'd written a letter about it, written in his journal and reflected on his behavior, (laughs) maybe, maybe Maybe. a bit of self-criticism, but it doesn't exist. And I think that's a, that's a real shame. Yeah. Cause like, how did you feel like actually like having to act that scene in? Like, how was it for you? Like going through that, and like kind of not going through it, but like having to emote that. Like, what were you? What was your kind of thinking going to it? Um, I think the way that I tried to play it was that 
she was into it, but she didn't know why. She was yeah. like, this feels good. What the fuck is happening? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think that... On my reading of it, I don't think it, that it's that traumatic for her. Um, but at the same time, it's... I, th I think that potentially, given more time, if she hadn't died, um, it would have been something that came up in, like, later life trauma, potentially. <laughs> they're, they're together in a little house, and it's like, hey, remember that time? It <laughs> 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 was a bit like, that's been not cool. <laughs> From my understanding, and I um, definitely don't want to speak for everybody that has been through this, but... Um, from my understanding, a lot of people that go through childhood sexual abuse don't really appreciate and um, feel the repercussions of that trauma until much later in their life. Mm. Like at the time, it's not all that traumatic for them, but it's something that just manifests into adulthood. Yeah, let it down the track. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Mitch, you, you raised a good point. So uh, you both had to participate in in the staging of that scene. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went about ensuring that you were both in a very safe place to perform that uh, every night? Yeah, it was interesting because I remember when like Mim and I were cast, like I was, I was a bit unsure whether the fact that we were so close and such good friends, whether it would make it more weird or less weird. And I think it made it less weird. I think it was think so. like... We're, you know, very comfortable with, like, you know, being in physical contact with each other. It's very, like, obviously not in that way, but in terms of, like, just, you know, touching each other and all that kind of stuff was already, like, that first barrier was kind of gone. Like, it was fine. Yeah. And then the way that we kind of rehearsed that was very, like, sensitive and everything as well in terms very. of, you know, it was just us. No one else was there. And they locked all the doors because they would just be wanderers in and out of the rehearsal space <laughs> sometimes. <Yeah. laughs> like, let's not do this when Mitch's ass is out. So like, <laughs> and I mean, like, to some extent, you know, you know what you're getting into, like, you know what the show is. Mm. So like a bit of that, but I think, and also, I don't know about you, Mim, but for me, like, it was very like, not like clinical, but it was very like almost rhythmic and very like, yeah. this has to happen on this beat. This has yeah. to happen in this word. And so yeah. it was very much like very mechanical in that way that also it, it wasn't like, Oh God, I've got to have sex with a bit friend like it was just very like okay on on this bit of the music i put my hand here and then i go and i do this and i undo the button there and like it was just yeah like i, I don't think there was ever an opportunity for it to be sexy no <laughs> it was like what's my blocking what's my blocking i need which, to do this by the time which, they oh time. which no which stop happens at which point like i like we would come exactly. off stage after that scene every time and mitch would be like mim can you can you do it consistently <laughs> one time? Because <laughs> I always forgot like one line or one beat or one physical action somewhere. I'm like, Mim, if you don't say that line, then I don't get to pretend to feel it. You have to do it. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, iconic. So, I felt like it didn't like, have too much opportunity to be because we, A, were already pretty comfortable with each other and B, we're just trying to get it right. Yeah. And it was very, you're right. Clinical is not the right word, but it was definitely more of a spectacle than it was something that we were actually experiencing. Like 
I was wearing two mm. pairs of underwear. <laughs> I had like actual underwear on and then tights and then a second pair of underwear over my tights. And at one point, yeah. like you took my underwear off, but it was like the outer pair over my tights, which really freaked out my mum. <laughs> like after the show, she was like, please tell me you had another pair of underwear on, which I did, thankfully. One anecdote that I love from this show is that on opening night, both of your mothers we're sitting beside each other, just clutching hands, <laughs> just being like, okay, we've got to get, we can get through this. It's going to be okay. Oh, you know my favorite bit, you know my favorite part? My favorite part is that, so everyone knows, like, they come to see the show, they're like, okay, it's going to be sick. There's going to be a sex scene. It's going to be graphic, whatever. They're like, end of act one, all you get really is like a bit of kissing, a bit of, and then like one thrust into the end of act one. Everyone's like, oh, thank God. I got through it. Started back two, bang. You're like straight away into like two minutes of thrusting and an orgasm. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, I didn't talk. God, that's over. That's done. Like, it's like, no, nah, it's actually not. No, no. no you've, got no. To, you've got to watch it more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I think it was, it was much more a spectacle than it was yeah. something that, yeah, it it probably looked a lot more real to the audience than it felt to us is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. Oh, exactly. Like there was, I don't think there was any kind of, yeah, there was no kind of false pretense. It was like, it was like anything real at all. Yeah. Um, but I guess also, I think this feeds into a broader discussion about how, when there is sexually explicit material presented on stage, like whether or not it is like a full blown sex scene or, just any kind of physical contact between actors um, that, um, yeah, any physical contact between actors that you've got to really set up a safe working environment for Mm. your actors. Mm. Otherwise it can have really horrendous consequences. Like you need to only look at like Craig McLaughlin in Rocky Horror to recognize that you can feed in, like create some really unsafe working environments for, um, for people. So I think, I'm very grateful that we had such a, um, well, a safe environment because Haley really um, set that up mm. for us. Um, but also it did really help that I was playing across my best friend. So that was good. Yeah, exactly. And like, not just for us who were doing it, but like everyone else had to watch, like, every, like the rest of the cast was standing around us watching. Like yeah. so, someone had to stand, like, kind of, like they're all quite close. Yes. <laughs> Singing. Yeah. Singing and you're just like, oh. yeah, hi, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, it can, especially when you're portraying something that is consensually dubious at best, mm. then that can also be like unsafe for your audience, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that there were like so many trigger warnings attached to this show as there should be um, because, you know, and not just for the, um, the assault, but also in the fact that, um, you know, you see a suicide happen on stage Yeah, that there's, you know, talk of like child sexual abuse by, um, by parents as well. Like it's, yeah. it's full like, of physical, things that like, can be very like triggering. Physical abuse with a stick. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that portion of the show. Um, so the fact that the character Martha 
speaks to her friends about the fact that she's being abused by her father. Um, it's, there's, it's implied that that happens to um, Ilsa as well, another character who I think in the play they're sisters, but in the musical that's unclear. Or is it the other way around? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I don't think they're related in the show, in the musical. Mm. They have different surnames, so I don't know. Mm, they do. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's a, a big issue that is touched on. Like, Ellis, I remember when you saw the show, your takeaway was that you knew the song The Dark I Know Well, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, that's a cool song. And then when you saw it in context, you were like, oh, that's what that song is about? Yeah, and that's that's one one thing that the musical does effectively is the songs kind of stand out. They're, they're a little bit separate from the action that's going on and mm. they're good at conveying like the mood and the tone mm. more so than like, here is the thing that is happening in the scene right now. And that was one of them yeah. that just like, yeah, like the, the way that was staged and, and the context put around that really made that a very dark and heavy moment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's the way it's kind of portrayed with Martha is like, she's very kind of like almost ashamed of that. Like doesn't want her Mm. friends to know about it and doesn't like feel like that's something that she can kind of seek help about. It's almost like, because I think in a lot of these situations, like obviously can't speak for like survivors of sexual assault and things, but I feel like a lot of it is put on by the abuser as this is your fault that I'm doing this to you. Mm. Like your actions have directly made me do this. So therefore there's like that shame on them attached to it. So like, you know, you don't want to seek help because it's like your fault and everything. And that really comes out in that scene prior to Dark I Know Well. I think that like, yeah, there's just this intense kind of like shame inside Martha that she's like, you know, I I can't believe that I've made my dad do this to me. And and like, Mm. and I've made him kick me out and all this stuff. And like, I just need to, you know, cover it as much as he can really. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that this thematically is handled really well in Spring Awakening. Like, I think the mm. fact that yeah. um, that that's probably quite an accurate representation of how survivors of abuse um, experience that shame and that stigma and that trauma, um, I think that that is dealt with very sensitively and accurately. Mm. Um for Martha and for Ilsa as well. Um, I also think that the the follow-up from that being the fact that Venla is almost feels bad that she has never experienced abuse, so then wants to experience it and kind of talks Melchior into hitting her is, like, that feels so white savior to me it's like oh, oh it's, it's it's so problem- it's so problematic <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> rather than letting me help you i want to directly feel your pain in a way that helps nobody it's yeah do you want to speak to that it helps you? nobody and it's like you can just you can just have em- you can just have empathy doll yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't you don't need to like actually experience something to have empathy for people that you know, that go through hardships and things. Mm. Like, you might not be able to fully understand the effects of it, but I think from, yeah, an empathic place, you definitely don't have to experience all oppression no. in the world to be able to, you know, no. help like, fight the who oppression. Would, 
who is that serving by just adding more oppression in the world? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I do remember because of like this, there was a time that I spent when I was like doing research for the show and like thinking about it. I remember seeing like a blog post or something that was talking about how in the original production, the actress that played Martha Lily Cooper was the only, I think one of the only or the only actress of color in the main cast. I know there are a couple of um, actors of color in the swings or understudies, mm. but then like the racial dynamics of Lily White, Leah Michelle, you know, kind of, which, well, that's a bit yeah. <laughs> to the moment too. But um, just her being like, oh, I just really want to um, experience this black woman's pain. But it's, it's a bit like, ah, which, you know, it's, and that, that's not written in the, in the text. Like you could no. very easily do a production of Spring Awakening with a Wendler of Colour and a White Martha. Like that's not, that's not inherent in the text, but with mm. the original casting, that's a bit of the dynamic that I think some people felt was there, which is a, a bit of a yikes from me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But... It's, it's not it's not inherent because like yeah there's no you can very easily color blind cast this show let's talk about the queer representation in this show um you because bet. it does actually exist we've mm-hmm. asked that question for the last few episodes we're like let's talk about the queer representation there is none <laughs> um whereas in spring awakening you see a queer relationship between hanshin and ernst um, and I think you and I have different opinions of this, Mitchell. Do you want to <laughs> express yours first and then I will speak to I, it? I was going to, I was going to say you go first because I think I want to rebut your point. Okay. Great. <laughs> sure. I think it makes more sense for your point to go first. Well, no, maybe not rebut, but maybe just ha- yeah. massage the discussion. Different perspective. Um, yeah, exactly. So we see this um, relationship blossom between the two of these characters, like quite a ways towards the end. Like it's kind of alluded to throughout most of the show, but you see it really um, manifest towards the end. Yeah. Um, And on one hand, I think that seeing a queer love story and seeing two men kiss and have an intimate moment together is lovely. And the fact that this was happening on main stage Broadway in 2007 was um, good and probably not um, indicative of what else was happening at the time. Um, <laughs> and I imagine that it is also in the original text as well. I am not familiar yeah, enough with the play, but yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um But on the other hand, I think that the dynamic between the two of them, there's a real power imbalance and it leaves me feeling a little bit icky in the sense (laughs) that it's like, this is one of the, one of the few and far between representations of like any semblance of a queer love story that we see in a musical and it's being portrayed as one of them really taking advantage of the other and um, having a real power imbalance. Like it's, I don't know. I, I, that doesn't sit well with know. me. I don't, yeah. Cause I was, I was thinking about this cause when we were kind of chatting before you, like you mentioned the word toxic in there and I was like, I reacted to that. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know. Cause you talk about the power dynamic. I don't know if there is really like, it's not a structural power dynamic. Like I don't think there's anything like they're both kind of, you know, same age, like 
go to the same school. They're kind of the same. We don't know anything about like socioeconomic status or anything like that. Mm. But there's part of me that's like, Hutch and sister Dom, you know, like that's kind of part <laughs> of, <laughs> but, like, I mean, I don't think he's like manipulating Ernst in any way. I think Ernst is kind of like very happy to go along with, I think he's, I'm kind of seen an actor who does talk a lot about oh I can't wait to be a pastor and have all of my children with my wife and like you you can smell the bullshit like you know like it's 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 like it's it's fairly clear but I just I don't know like I don't think that there's any kind of coercion in that scene like the scene doesn't read as coercive to me it doesn't necessarily read as like yeah I don't know I just don't I think it's yeah I don't think it's two boys having a good time. Could could this be um, an aspect of the production that almost comes down to the performers portraying it, like with a different Possibly, set of direction yeah. and a different set of performers adding in different dynamics? Like, uh, there's the possibility that it could be this quite constructive relationship where both of them understand where the, each other person's coming from, or it could be quite a manipulative one person taking advantage of the other. Yeah, I, I guess so. I just don't like. I just don't. I think they both have the same objective from the scene, I would say. Like, mm. eventually, like, mm. to the point, like, I think they both probably, like, when they're alone together, I imagine I imagine both Hunch and Ernst want the same thing. Like, they may not, you know, Ernst probably doesn't have the tools, or the social tools or the history to get that, to get there. And so mm. someone needs to take charge mm. in the situation being Hunch in. But I don't know. Like, I guess it would come down to how you play. I think you could play it very, like... Uh, icky i think mm. which i imagine probably often does happen but i think there's yeah purely from the text i don't think there is like a co it doesn't read as coercive to me mm. in that way yeah how how do you think it know. compares to the the vendla melchior relationship <sighs> well it's, it's tricky because it's so like there's so much less to work with in terms of the hunch and it stuff like you literally mm. get like maybe like 30 seconds of a scene and then a song so there's a lot more kind of development through the Melchior Wendler relationship. I guess from what, 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 what you, you what said you about the Hunch and Ernst, Ernst relationship, it's almost it's almost paralleled with Melchior and Wendler in that they have the same desires and they have the same attraction and pull towards one another, but one person has significantly more tools to be able to execute yeah. it than the other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm not saying that Hunch is not a slime ball. Like, he's a bit of a slime ball. But, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I, just, I just, yeah, I think they're both end- ending up with what they want in that, mm. in, in that scene, you know? So we've talked, we've kind of touched on the original Broadway production a lot. Um, but there's another very notable production of this that I think is... Um, worth discussing because I think it does a lot of fantastic things being the Deaf West production of Spring mm. Awakening which I think was on Broadway but it, it I was think on, it might was on have started Broadway. in California so yeah it started yeah. on California and made its way to Broadway and uh, was nominated for Best Revival of a Musical the same year that Hamilton won everything Ah, so it was sort of, you know. So it was it was a little bit swept under the rug, but still, like, the fact that this this kind of like real underdog production worked its way up and earned multiple nominations. Um, it was a real kind of kind of a feel good story, even if it didn't walk away with any trophies. It still did r- a real good job. 
of of showcasing itself because it was like a really indie production wasn't it yeah super indie Mm. so if anyone isn't familiar with this version of spring awakening uh essentially it's put on by this um company called deaf west who are very interested in making musical theater accessible to deaf and hard of hearing audiences so in addition to all the actors singing and speaking their lines everything is also done in sign language Mm -hmm. and like um lyrics and dialogue and um some of the actors are deaf as well like for moritz and venla and maybe ernst i think um, there are a couple of them as well, but those the, those are the two main. They're, like, they're the yeah. prominent ones. There are um, two actors that play these roles mm-hmm. concurrently. Like um, one is a hearing actor and singer, um, and one is deaf and um, signs their dialogue and um, sung lyrics lyrics that's the word i was looking for <laughs> while their counterpart sings and speaks them mm-hmm. um and in some instances like plays guitar as well it's very cool mm-hmm. um yeah. and the way they do it is that it's sort of like especially like i always think of the moment in the mama who bore me scene and into that where um you can kind of see Vendler's inner turmoil because she like turns back the um, the deaf actress turns back to the hearing actress and the hearing actress is like, no, no, go on. You can do it. It's like, she's like, you see her internal monologue through the interaction between yeah, these two yeah. actors. It's beautiful. Mm. And um, like all the Corey has sign language in um, interwoven into it. And it's just absolutely stunning. <laughs> um, yeah. It's great. Cause like when the, when one of the main themes of your show is, communication difficulty yeah like Mm -hmm. it's it very much serves the story to yeah showcase that through one of the most like one of the more common communication difficulties from a medical standpoint being you know someone being deaf or hard of hearing Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. i think yeah it works really perfectly with that i think yeah and i think i have um read the fact that purposefully the reason that um venla and melky venla and moritz sorry were the characters that were purposefully cast as um, as deaf actors was because they were the characters who had some level of um, difficulty accessing what they needed to access, being this information about mm. their their sex lives and their bodies. Um, whereas Melchior was purposefully cast as a hearing actor who signed um, to be indicative of the fact that he was the one who had that access opportunity. Like there was a um yeah that was very purposefully done from a thematic standpoint which is very cool to me and actually and i know that they actually played it like in in the world of the show those characters were deaf people as well like they weren't just deaf actors playing hearing characters with some of the stuff like they were like i know i've seen some clips where they in the, the first scene of the school there's like the teacher trying to like teach moritz how to basically talk and they like and there are some scenes where they talk you know, where the deaf actors talk, but obviously it's a bit different to how we're hearing people talk because they're deaf and like things like that, like trying to get him to like feel the air coming out of his mouth as he talks with a feather in front of it and things like that. So it's, right. it was good to kind of actually, they were able to kind of adapt the story and still works perfectly with the characters 
actually being deaf, not just deaf mm. actors playing hearing characters. Yeah. The the whole like story behind the production is fascinating. A little bit of podcast homework. If everybody wants to find the uh, Broadway backstory on the Deaf West production, it's like an hour and a half, two hours long with interviews with like cast members and crew members and, and production team uh, behind it, kind of detailing the whole story of how it got from how it started to how it got to Broadway. And it's like, it's beautiful and heartbreaking and incredible. And it was also, um, this production uh, also had uh, Ali Stoker uh, playing a role. And this production, and she was the first uh, actress in a wheelchair to appear on Broadway, mm. which in 2000, like 2015, like that kind of boggles. Like, how did it take that long? Also, <laughs> because there are like, and there are several characters in musicals that are in wheelchairs as well. Yeah. But <laughs> like, a lot of the time like surely you get someone you know someone can play fdr and annie is in a wheelchair surely like I mean, <laughs> yeah get him in nessa, there. nessa rose in in wicked so, or she does have to she does she have does to, have walk, to walk, walk yeah yeah but still but... it's it's very telling that a lot of people um a lot of casting directors are just like oh we'll just cast an able-bodied actor yeah. for this role as opposed to not and from my understanding her experience was that broadway theaters are very inaccessible backstage like it's just all stairs and that they had to make a lot of modifications in the theaters so that she was able to access it in her wheelchair which is a real problem Mm. in the 21st century yeah when when she won her Tony for Oklahoma last year, I think it was last year, like mm-hmm. she was able to get a Tony because they already had her up. But when Oklahoma won Revival, she was down in the, in the seats and she couldn't actually get her on stage to go and oh. celebrate with the rest of the cast because it's not accessible to get from the, from the stalls <laughs> onto the stage. So she's there like, yay, we won. Oh, <laughs> like can't actually get up on stage without going all the way around. That's really oh. sad. That's really upsetting. That's true. <laughs> like, like you want a Tony and you can't go on stage. Oh, wow. <laughs> that sucks. And it's like, yeah, and it sucks that, like, the, you know, the, using, like, you know, three steps is what's stopping a person from having a career path. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, honestly. And, and what's, what's wonderful about productions like the Deaf West Spring Awakening is that it's, it's actively trying to break down those barriers to allow more people to perform. And it turns out when you when you allow more people to perform, you create incredible, unique, beautiful art that really resonates with everyone. Why can't we do that more? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the whole thing with representation, isn't it? Is, is being like, oh, well, there's nobody of the, like, like this that can play this character. It's like, no, you're not giving people the opportunity. So mm. yeah. you know, if you don't give people the opportunity, there won't be any actors that can authentically, you know, represent certain communities and things like that yeah 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 mitch did you have any closing thoughts anything else you want to add <sighs> i don't know it's been it's been quite nice over the last week to kind of revisit all these you know revisit the show and think about it again and try and mm. get my head together and remember all the good times that we had millicent yeah <laughs> lovely yeah well it's, it's been really it's lovely talking. talking to you about it and and hearing your thoughts and and perspective and it's just also just really nice to talk to you yeah. you're, you're a delightful human being and we miss delightful. you yeah thanks um i i think 
my my final thoughts, which are not necessarily um, relevant to feminist discourse or the representation of um, sort of any marginalized group, but which I just think is a really cool thing artistically that this show does, is I love the the contrast between the songs and the scenes, and the fact mm-hmm. that there's a real um, there's a real tonal shift, mood shift between um, the scenes that are done from quite a um, like it obviously it depends on the direction, but typically from quite a um, historical realism, um, perspective. Re- realism perspective to then move into this kind of like rock concert that is the songs and the fact that that shift kind of demonstrates like the inner turmoil of, mm-hmm. of the characters. And yeah, I think that's one of, I think that's one of the reasons that I love this show so much is that there's this um, really rich dialogue that you can sink your teeth into and also this gorgeous music that is sometimes... Um, it, it kind of flips the, the music theatre expectation that the songs are what drive the narrative forward, whereas mm, in Spring Awakening, yeah. it's like the songs are an expression of a mood. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. It means that some of the lyrics are really hard to remember because they don't mean anything. So the, lyrics make, the lyrics make no sense. Yeah. Like, you know and <laughs> no. Like, I, I, think, I think that's why you can have 13-year-old me listen to the songs and have no idea what the show's about mm. and be like, ooh, Love mm. a blue wind. It's bright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can listen to my junk and be like, this is a cute song. And you see it in the show and you're like, this song is about masturbation. <laughs> How did yeah. I not know this? Oh, yeah. I know. And, and just so much horse imagery. We love <laughs> the horse imagery. Oh, Mares will neigh with stallions. Mares they shall neigh. That they, stallions I don't remember they... the lyrics because they're really random. Stallions that they may, I don't know. False on that false. <laughs> yeah. Friends, do we rate or ruin Spring Awakening from a feminist perspective? For our listeners, Mitch is looking very pained and unsure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, no, I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, good. I, <laughs> I, I, think there are some, I think there are some things that are very good gateway media, you know, that you can be like, mm-hmm. here's a little like taste of some of these issues but it may not be the best representation but getting you to start thinking more about Mm. like Mm. these things and then maybe and go do your own research and delve into it a bit more rather than like i wouldn't be taking um stream reckonings the be all and end all of um social justice causes but i think it's not a bad it's not a bad way to be thinking about these things especially you know in terms of like mental health and things from something that's targeted towards teens. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess, I think there's also an element of um, teenagers who are really struggling with their sexuality or their mental health or their hormones, because being a teenager is rough, um, (laughs) that there's probably just some element of um, having their experience validated in this show yeah like the the teen angst is real but teen angst is real so (laughs) you know you can listen to this and listen to totally fucked and be like yep this is me yeah (laughs) or or even just like the bitch of living like what an absolute banger what a banger Um, i i I think yeah i think this like I was like, I was going to say, this was very, this is very much the mid two thousands rent, isn't it? I mean, it that's is very, like, like it's it's that show that like all the kids kind of scream about and and like they can vent frustrations. Like, 
yeah, so it's the, it's the same thing. It's like, here's an edgy musical for children that are going to, mm-hmm. and you can yell about it, which is great. It's yeah. good. And every generation needs one and you can, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Ellis, what were you saying? You were reading something about how every decade has like a an edgy revolution musical. Was that you? Were you telling me about that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was in reference to another Lindsay Ellis video. <laughs> <laughs> Who we love. We, we, we do love her. We, Feminism ruins everything, bingo. Ellis brings up Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> uh, in, in Lindsay Ellis's video about Rent, which I highly recommend, um, she does talk about how every decade kind of has a, a Viva la Revolution fight against the system musical. And she posited that the, the 2000s wanted Spring Awakening, but it was never quite big enough. And we ended up with Avenue Q, which I think kind of perfectly sums up that decade and where we've gone from there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's a whole episode of criticism in Avenue Q. Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose, I think, thinking about this show as a whole and whether it holds up by feminist standards, like, I think that if you're... Um, your main aim in a show thematically is to be critiquing a system where young people don't have enough access to education about their bodies and about sex and anatomy and desire, that, that that's a really good thing to critique. Mm-hmm. Like to, to have a show that says young people need access to comprehensive sexual education, like, if, if that's the main aim of your show, mm-hmm. then that's a good aim to have. But there, is, yeah. there are some real um, problematic elements. I would posit the main one being the... Dubious consent. Dubious consent around the very famous sex scene. I, I would say that this is a show that um, is so reliant on the production team understanding Mm. the show and i could very easily see a production team saying we're putting on spring awakening and not quite getting what they're doing and only seeing the kind of edginess and the fact that songs say fuck in them (laughs) and really misrepresent what the show is about and i think that could be quite harmful to an audience seeing that whereas with a, a very respectful production team i think that spring awakening can be quite educational and enlightening and like you said mitch kind of like spark that discussion and interest Mm. into further researching these issues yeah like it it tries to tackle so many things that it can't go into depth about everything um like you'd need a whole show to discuss like to to fully do justice to like the martha subplot or like the moritz plot um being you know the sexual abuse and the um mental health suicide Uh, sides of things so it like it can't do justice to everything but it touches on it enough that yeah it gives a gateway like you said Mitch to to then further explore these issues and to give you a sense of their significance yeah and I think in that way it is very much like here's all these here's all these issues and I think in that way everyone that goes to see it can at least connect with something yes yeah yeah definitely yeah Hmm. yeah so I'm going to say Spring Awakening is like, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't ask whether it passes the Bechdel test. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I'm confident mm-hmm. that it does on a few occasions. 
Yes, I would think so. Like Mama Who Bore Me, surely. Yeah, Mama Who Bore Me, and like the scene in between. Yeah, it's not explicitly talking about a man; it's talking about. It, how, it's talking how about Dendla's body yeah. and herself and her own perceptions of that. Mm. Yeah, I'd say so. And there's the whole what is it? What what are you wearing to the wedding? Bit, which I guess <laughs> does as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. 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 Classic gags. Yeah. Right, I, yes, I, I would. I would say yes to Ms. Bechtel. Yay, <laughs> Ms. Bechtel. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Uh, yeah, I think that there are some issues, but I think on the whole, it does do more of a service to feminism than it does a disservice. Yeah, I'd agree with I that. I would agree. I would say it just passes, <laughs> like sixty percent. One more thing that I was going to say is that in our little yeah. shop episode, I yeah. um, put a little feeler out and I was like, Little Shop of Horrors is one of the three musicals that I refer to as my favorite musical in inverted commas. And I was like, I won't tell you what the other ones are because we'll get to them. Spring Awakening is one of them. Ooh, so got one more to go. We got one more to go. I freaking love this show. Mitchell Smith, okay. you were an absolute delight. I love you so much. <laughs> And you, Mim. I miss you. I love I'm, you too, Alice. Love you too, Mitch. And I'm so missing happy you a lot. We got to talk to you about this show that is very dear to us. Yeah, it's been so lovely. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for coming on and it's, take care of yourself. It's been a lovely, yes, yeah, it's been a lovely break from the old stage four. So yeah, <laughs> Ooh, hang in there. Can imagine. Two weeks in. <laughs> you got this. All right. Thank you so much, Mitch. Take care. Thanks. See you later. Mim, if the people wanted to get in touch with us following this wonderful episode, how would they do that? Well, Ellis, they could first write a letter to Fanny Gabor about how they're going to flee to America. Or they could find us on the social medias. Hit us up at at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod on Instagram. Find us at Feminism Ruins Everything Dash It's a Feminist Podcast on Facebook. Or you could find us on Patreon and become a patron by donating a monthly amount to access some bonus content, some of which this week might include some really old photos of Mitch and I as children in youth theatre together. <laughs> oh, it, it will most certainly yeah. be that. Yeah, like circuit. <laughs> I'm talking like circa 2009. I've got some good. I got some good photos. It's such a long time ago. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.